Hello and welcome to New Life. My name is Mark and I am one of the pastors here at New Life Christian Ministries. We're so excited to have you here with us today. I'm also the lead pastor of Lux Digital Church, an online church that's been planted through the New Life Network. And although I don't hold responsibilities here at New Life anymore, um, I have been on staff here serving at New Life for the past 11 years. And it's an honor and it's awesome to be able to be with you. I get the opportunity to preach today in a kind of unique way um, without uh, being in the middle of a message series, kind of being in something that's entirely standalone. I got the opportunity to share my final sermon with the New Life family. I've served New Life now, like I said, for 11 years and New Life has been insanely next level, crazy, faithful and generous to our family. They've continued to support me and my family as we have pursued starting this new church, this entirely new endeavor through starting Lux. New Life has been faithful and incredible. And I have to say a special thank you to Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris, who years ago took the chance on a 22-year-old who was fresh out of college with no ministry experience really at all, someone who was an unknown entity and a complete and total risk, he took a chance on hiring me and allowing me to come here and start serving the youth here at New Life, and I'm so incredibly thankful for that. And I'm so thankful for the New Life family who has supported me and been there for me Throughout the last 11 years, you've given me a place to become a pastor, to grow as a leader, to become a husband, to become a father. Thank you for putting up with me in the times that I showed up to something unprepared, the types, times that I made the wrong call, and the times that I said the wrong thing at the wrong time to the wrong people. You've stayed beside me, and you've enabled me to have more than just a church You've given me a family. A lot of people who start off in ministries have a pastor who's a boss. For me, I had the opportunity through Pastor Chris to have more than a boss, to have a mentor, to have a spiritual father. And as a men member of the New Life staff for the past 11 years, more than just being a staff member, I had an extended spiritual family that was oftentimes as close to me as my physical and biological family. It's been an honor and a privilege to serve New Life for the past 11 years and to continue to be able to attend here and participate here on the weekends, even as we have started Lux. Now, it's really hard for me to know what to say in my last message. Now, I know it's not my last words to New Life, and hopefully, um, if God wills it, it won't be the last time that I preach here at New Life either. But it is, in many ways, my last words. Because it's the last time that I am going to be here preaching as your pastor, as somebody who biblically has some level of spiritual authority over this faith community, over this church family. So there's some truth in the fact that in many ways it's my last words, at least my last words of quote-unquote spiritual authority here at New Life. And so as I was reflecting on that, I was thinking about what do I want my last words to be? There's been many people who have shared their last words and they have been last words of significance. They've been meaning. They should have more punch, more oomph, more impact than the other words that you share. You should choose your last words with care. You should pick them out carefully. You should make sure that each word that you have to share has meaning and impact. So I began reflecting on what I should share. The problem was I didn't know what I wanted my last words to be. I didn't know if maybe my last words should be about 
my favorite Bible verse, making it personal, about the fact that you should love God or perhaps about how much God loves you. Maybe they should be about submitting yourself to the Bible or submitting yourself to the will of the Holy Spirit. After all, we just came out of a great series here at New Life about the power of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit interacts with our life. But all of that didn't seem to resonate with me, and so I decided to make my last words about somebody else's last words. But before I dive into that, I want to first take a look at today's take-home point, the one point that I'm going to seek to make so that we can take it home and live it out in the week ahead. This week's take-home point is everyone is a missionary. Now let's look at the final words of Jesus, the final words that I'm going to focus on to his followers. They come to us from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, words that will probably seem familiar to you because they've been familiar to the church for 2,000 years. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. These words, the words that we call the Great Commission, have driven the church for the past 2,000 years. As followers of Jesus, we've taken this to be our mission. The calling of every believer is to bring people to believe in Jesus, baptize them, and then to teach them to follow Jesus. Throughout history, the church has done this in multiple ways at different times. When the first church, when the first church started, it was persecuted. They were spread throughout house churches and uh, small movements scattered all across the Middle East, bringing people to faith. When it became legalized and institutionalized, the church built cathedrals, and we gathered in massive numbers and gorgeous, ornate buildings with theatrical church services for the populace that largely could not read. We have gathered in small white chapels across the birth of a new free nation. We have thwarted and hid from groups of terrorists, dictators, and communist parties as we have sought to smuggle Bibles to oppressed peoples who had no access to God's word. We have at times been marginalized, and at other times it was illegal not to be a follower of Jesus. There was a time when religion was a state mandated thing, and it was illegal for you not to attend church on Sunday mornings. The church has survived heresies and wars and upheaval. The, the church has su survived changes in leadership, schisms and splits, the Reformation. It has been gathered in so many different forms and in so many different places. We have sent people to almost every nation all across the world, every people group, every tribe. We've translated God's word into literally thousands of languages and took the life-giving message of Jesus to people who had never heard it before in isolated rainforests and mountain passes. We have preached and, and we've gone into monasteries and we've secluded ourselves and we've hidden away and we've proclaimed the message of Jesus to literally billions of people through TV, radio, and now live streaming ministry. The church has survived and grown and implemented and changed and transformed over the past 2,000 years in so many ways, but the same central tenet has been that we are on this mission, the last words of Jesus 
to bring people to faith in Jesus, to baptize them, and to teach them to obey everything that God has commanded. Throughout all of it, God has been faithful to lead the church, and he promises to do so in the future. Today, right now, in 2021, I believe the church is on the precipice of something new. For the past 1,700 years, the church has not only existed in a world that embraced it, but also in many ways demanded it. But we no longer live in that world. As I was being raised as a child, I was brought up to believe that I was being raised in a Christian nation. And if that was true in 1988, that is no longer true today. We do not live in a Christian culture. We now live in a post-Christian world. And while many of us may deny it, and we may even want to fight for the faith and the traditions of our past, the reality is, The future is never going to stop arriving. And the generations that are being raised today are not being raised in the kingdom of Christianity. We are currently witnessing the death of Christendom and the dawn of a new age of paganism that is unparalleled by any age that has come before it and has never been seen before in our country or in our context. Not for thousands of years. The way the church has lived out the Great Commission, those final words of Jesus, has to change. It must change. In many of our lifetimes, the church has existed to dispense spiritual goods and services. Everybody came to church on Sundays. The church existed to provide for you fellowship, teaching, encouragement, and a place of worship. You came on Sunday mornings and you tithed and the church dispensed spiritual goods. It helped you raise your children in a moral way that was true and accurate to the teachings of the Bible. Eventually, we started youth ministries because we realized that teenagers were navigating an increasingly complex world. And so we started youth group to give them a place so that they would be saved from the ways of the world. The megachurch movement and the attractional church, the the seeker-sensitive movement, resurged to the forefront where we basically said we will provide the best of children's ministry and worship experience, the most comfortable chairs, the most delicious coffee, all of the things that you want so that you can invite your unbelieving friends to come to church. We'll give them an amazing experience and we will tell them about Jesus for you. This is a model that I personally propagated, uh, I personally made happen here at New Life. I, I provided the best resources, the funnest experiences, the craziest games, so that teenagers could invite their friends at the promise that if they invited their unbelieving friends, we promised to tell their unbelieving friends about Jesus for them. Many of you lived in a culture that supported the Sabbath and respected a day of rest. Now businesses aren't only open on Sunday mornings, they're open 24-7. And many of us don't even go to a brick and mortar store because Amazon literally never ever stops working. Sunday morning is no longer a sacred hour. It's now competing in space for travel leagues, sports competitions, and anything else that you might want to do entertainment-wise on Sunday morning is literally at your fingertips. Sunday morning is no longer a sacred space. 
and it's never going to become a sacred space in our culture again. Even if we want to go back to the good old days and new times call for new approaches to the same mission, new times call for new approaches to the same mission. In the 1970s, a British missionary named Leslie Newbegin, which I think I got his name right, retired after 40 years of missionary work in India. And when he returned to his home country, he's quoted for saying this. England is a pagan society, and the development of a truly missional encounter with this very tough form of paganism is the greatest intellectual and practical task facing the church. When I came to New Life, we talked a lot about building a building. In fact, my very first meeting with Chris, I'd had a phone conversation with him when I was standing outside the Beaver Falls Coffee and Tea Company about taking a job at New Life. He invited me to come out and meet with him at a restaurant out on 356 that's no longer there. And during that meeting, he talked about the future church building. But we didn't talk about a church. When we referred to the property here at 139 Knock Road, we always spoke about it in the early days, at least when early days for me, which is you know, 50% of the life for New Life. So Chris had been around for a long time uh, leading New Life. But we didn't talk about it as a church. We talked about it as a mission outpost, a place to train, equip, and send out missionaries with spiritual weapons for a day of victory. We didn't want people to get confused about what it was. We knew that when people came to church, they typically settled in, and they grew comfortable, complacent. And comfortable Christianity wasn't something that any of us were willing to sacrifice for. We wanted to see a true missional movement, impact, unparalleled, something that Saxonburg and the surrounding region had never seen. We wanted gospel saturation to every single family within our reach, and we could only do that if we were a missional and missionary movement. Now, at the time, I didn't understand the importance of that. In fact, I remember early on, Pat Fessage, who was our head of administration, would frequently correct me whenever I would get it wrong, and I would call it a church instead of a mission outpost. And now, honestly, mission outpost lost popularity. But I know the source and the reason for the mission outpost, the, the heart behind it, has never, ever left the heart of Pastor Chris. The goal and the desire of New Life was always to be a place that trained people to go out. And in those early days, when I would say it wrong, Pat would always correct me. And at the time, I thought it was something that was silly to split hairs over. But now I realize it wasn't a message and a prophetic word for the future. It was for the day that I was living in, that the church truly needed to transform it wasn't about the building, and it even wasn't about the programs, and it wasn't about the gathering. It was about the people. It was about creating a place that would train people to go out and live as missionaries in their everyday context. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong for us to call this place a church. A church is a church, and Jesus used the word church, so I think it's a pretty good name. If it was good enough for Jesus, it was good enough for me. What I'm saying is we need to fundamentally change the way we view the purposes and the intentions of the church. Gone are the days when people mandatorily have to attend church on Sunday morning, so there was no reason for evangelism. All there was a reason for was to dispense spiritual goods and services. That day no longer exists, and it is not coming back. 
We live at the dawn of something new, a a true transformation in the life of the church if we are willing to grasp it. Truly the death of Christendom has come. We don't live in it anymore and we are on the precipice of something entirely new. We are standing on the cliffs of a true missional church. I remember the first time I was told about a missionary that had come to the U.S. It was someone from Australia that had moved to the town of Aliquippa. They had started a coffee shop there called Uncommon Grounds and were using that to have a missional impact for the gospel in that town. Now, I knew about Aliquippa. I grew up about 30 minutes away from it, and my father had done work in the area. And he always warned me that there were certain plans and certain streets that you did not go to in Aliquippa because it was too dangerous. And if you did go, you certainly did not go at night. It was a place that, as a result, I never went to. I had not gone to Aliquippa until late in college, and it was only about 30 minutes away from me. A place that was riddled with racism and prostitution, with violence, drug addiction, depression, and poverty. I lived 30 minutes from that town, but it was an Australian who moved from the other side of the world who came to bring the gospel to them. Here in the U.S., we oftentimes view national mission trips as a chance to get out of our context. We don't view ourselves as missionaries. When we talk about going on a national mission trip, we talk about flying out. Because I know there's some people who are big on national trips, and and you're really like, oh, this is what I'm talking about. But oftentimes when we talk about national trips, we talk about going away for a week to an Indian reservation in Arizona or doing a week of missions work in New York City. And there's nothing wrong or bad about those things, but it continues to propagate and hold up this false belief. And that false belief is, is that missions is something some people in the church do instead of what every person in the church is. Missions is something some people in the church do instead of what every person in the church is. And as our world has drifted and tack times run away from God, it's been easier to isolate ourselves inside our walls, inside our programs, so that we only spend time with people who think like us, who believe like us, and most importantly, often, unfortunately, is people who vote like us. We're willing to support missions who are overseas by giving our time and money and possibly even flying out to another part of the world. But the time is coming when we tr- it will truly hurt to be a follower of Jesus. The time is coming where it will no longer be convenient. Well, church will be more than checking off your spiritual box once or twice a month. It will be painful in our world, to follow Jesus. That is the culture that we are heading to. Church will not be a place of spiritual consumption for the spiritual overeater, but a necessary outpost for training, resources, and encouragement for the missional life. There are people in your community, people who are in your sphere of influence, people who you know, they're your coworkers, they're parents of your kids on your kids' soccer team. They're your family. They're your friends that Jesus has put you in context with to reach because they don't know Jesus. And if they don't come to know Jesus, they will one day go to hell. It's not the church's responsibility to reach them. It's yours. 
And when the church does it right, people don't come to church to meet Jesus. They come to church because they met Jesus. Let me say that again because it's important. When the church does it right, people don't come to church to meet Jesus. They come to church because they met Jesus. And until we accept and embrace that each of us are missionaries in the context where God has already placed us, we will settle for a shadow of what the church could be, and more importantly, what the church must be. We must reclaim the heart of the church as a missional movement totally and completely devoted to following Jesus. We have to surrender our desire to resurrect a culture of the past for the future generations so that the, our children and our grandchildren and their children and their grandchildren may know about Jesus. We have to be willing to set aside comfortable Christianity and pick up the missionary life of Jesus Christ. Now, please understand, I'm not attempting to be critical of this church because what I'm saying can come, come, come across as, is really harsh. I know there's room for you and I and every single one of us to improve and to grow in this area of our life. I know that very few of us actually view ourselves as missionaries to our context. But while I know each of us can grow, I also know the heart of Pastor Chris and the staff. And Pastor Chris specifically and the staff here at New Life have been faithfully transitioning this church for this movement. They have seen the transformation that is going to have to happen for the church to be effective in reaching the next generations. No longer is building buildings with comfortable seats and nice coffee and a good light show going to be enough. People are going to have to actually engage their faith where they are. And I've seen as New Life has changed its points of emphasis and the things that it has celebrated to prepare the culture of this church for the impending shift that must happen. And in some ways, that impending shift will be painful. It's a departure from the comfortable things that we have known. But in other ways, it is a step into a new world, into a new life that's full and flourishing with the life of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. I have personally watched as the staff has made these transitions and I really want to make sure that this doesn't sound like a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a return to the foundational movements and rhythms of the first church. It's no longer putting evangelism locked behind the doors of committees, which I'm thankful I've never had to do here at New Life. It's, it's meaning that, that the, the vision and the mission of the church and the calling of each and every one of us is no longer relegated to full-time ministry positions, but it is exactly who you are, where you are, with the people that God has placed with inside your sphere of influence. You no longer have to draw a salary from the church or raise your salary from churches and fly to Africa and dig wells to be on mission. It is the unlocking of everything in scripture to every person who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. It's a beautiful and amazing thing that this church is prepared for, that you have been prepared for. By the teaching of Pastor Chris and the staff here, they have been preparing you to realize that the mission of Jesus is every place that you work, that you live, that you play. That you are on mission if you're a follower of Jesus and totally devoted to him every moment of your life. You live as a missionary. 
Missions is no longer a place that we go or a people that the church support. It is us living our everyday lives fully devoted to the mission of Jesus. We get to reach out to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family members, to our kids' football coach. We get the opportunity to touch their lives and see them forever changed. God has given you a place of influence and relationships that he wants you to make use of to draw people to him, baptize people in his name, and teach people to follow all of the things that he has commanded us to. Big or small, the community and the context that God has put you in makes you a missionary. You understand their language, you understand what they like, and you know their inside jokes. You understand their points of pain and their unfelt or their, their unmet places of desperation and their unresolved desires. You are uniquely equipped to be a missionary to the context that you're in. So how do we get started? Well, the good news is the disciples all lived in an era and a time that wasn't all that much unlike Rome. 2,000 years ago was a place of unparalleled debauchery and paganism. And so the disciples lived in that. And so the scriptures give us literally thousands of examples. In fact, if there's any time throughout history, especially in U.S. history, that the church has been able to relate to scriptures, it's right now, closer now than ever before. So we're going to look today at just one section that gives us a great example from the writings of the Apostle Peter. It says this, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better... It is God's will to suffer for good, for doing good, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He has put the death, he has put to death in the body, but made alive. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Peter says we can start by always being prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. But do you have hope that the world wants? When people look at your life, do you shine as a beacon for hope in a world that's desperate? Or do you look like the rest of the world? Are you just as infatuated with the news and just as overwhelmed with the things that are going on? Or do you have an inner peace that comes only by spending time with Jesus? Have you been so overwhelmed in this past year that you've lost sight of your faith and you've become more worldly rather than more godly? If we stood you up in a line with all of your non-Christian friends, would there be evidence of the fact that you are indeed a follower of Jesus? Would there be evidence in, in your life, in the way that you spend your time, in your checkbook, that you are sacrificial when it comes to the kingdom of God, that you live and that you are loved by Jesus Christ? Would there be evidence for that hope? And that if there is, are you prepared to give a testimony? Have you drawn close enough to Jesus to be prepared to give a testimony at a moment's notice for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? 
And, and maybe more importantly than any of those things, are you prepared to give that testimony of the hope that you have, which makes you stick out in a world that doesn't have it, a world that desires hope? Are you prepared to give testimony to that in a way that is gentle and loving, forgiving and tender? Are you really prepared to give a testimony for the hope that you have to the atheist that you have at work with you, for, for people who might slander you or who might belittle you, who might take advantage of your kindness, for people who don't think like you, act like you, believe like you, and don't vote like you, for people that, I don't know, that one should hit home more than anything else, but for people from the LGBTQ community, for people who are just unlike you, are you prepared with gentleness and love to give a testimony for the hope that you have? Or are we just spending time consuming spiritual goods and resources and hanging out with a lot of people who we feel really comfortable with? Can you set aside your preconceived ideas of what missionaries are? Can you set aside what you grew up understanding missionaries to be? If you grew up in the church, I remember Mission Week. I remember the missionary who, who came in, who, who we had supported, and they came back once every three years to tell us about their endeavors in Africa or where China, wherever it is that they were. I remember, can you set aside your preconceived ideas of what missionaries are and realize that every believer is called to be on mission in a post-Christian culture? Can you set aside the desire to resurrect a culture that was and realize that you have the culture that is, that is in desperate need for people who will not sit idly by on the sidelines, but will truly engage in the mission and the truth of Jesus Christ, that people might come out of darkness and into light? Will you truly engage with the last words of Jesus to bring people to him, to baptize them, and to raise them up and teach them to obey all of the things that he commanded. It's a new method, but it's the same mission that the church has carried for 2,000 years. Perhaps there are people in your life that you can reach. In fact, I know that there are. For me, I know who we're called to. I know their culture, I know their language, I know their jokes, and for the most part, I know their points of pain. For us, we're to reach gamers online. I know that. And you have a people that you're supposed to reach to. God has placed them in your life. Maybe there are people that you meet at the racetrack and you spend time with every weekend. Maybe there are people at your local sportsman's club that you frequent and you're a member of. Perhaps there are people on your child's baseball team or wrestling team. Maybe for you, um, they are, I don't know, people at the local library that you frequent. Maybe it's a street near your house that has a lot of single moms. Maybe it's an above 55 or 65 community that you're able to go and spend time with people who are lonely. Perhaps it's your neighbor, your coworkers. Maybe you're in a yacht club, a Jeep club, a Porsche club. Whatever it is, God has placed you in a place of influence in a culture that you know uniquely. And as a missionary, you are sent to them to reach them in the name of Jesus. And that's really what our next step is this week. And I couldn't leave you with something light or small when it came to a next step on my last message. So our next step is this. I will engage the mission field where I was sent this week. Start by inviting people to your house for dinner. 
build relationships. Be about more than what you can get out of people and what they can give to you and be about how you can serve and love them. Be about the deeper parts of people's life. Be about what really matters to them. Help them to win. Be about serving them, loving them, exactly where you are. Realize that your hobbies and downtime activities aren't just hobbies and downtime activities. They're mission fields. Realize that you have been called to a specific group of people and if you don't respond to that calling, likely no one will. And those people may end up in hell one day because we didn't truly engage with the mission fields that God has placed us in. Gone are the days that we passively attend church. The church is on the precipice of something new and something fresh. And unfortunately, there will be churches that miss it. There'll be churches that miss this new movement of God. And we, I know that New Life won't be one of those churches because I know the heart of Pastor Chris and this staff. But I want to see you, every single person who calls New Life their home, to be on board with it. I want to see you moving into it. I want to see you take steps into what God has truly intended for your life. Yeah, it's riskier and it requires faith, but it's better. God has a plan for you and a people that he has sent you to. Don't miss them. Something else that Peter says in this passage is this. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. The reality is we can't start any of this unless we first start where we need to start, which is accepting Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. And I'm not talking about a passive acceptance to grab a couple of good feelings as you head out the door. I am talking about a total life reorientation. I am talking about serving Jesus with every aspect of who you are, surrendering your beliefs about everything and about everyone and revering and only caring about his beliefs about everything and everyone. I am talking about submission to a master, not just savior from hell. And if that's you today, we believe it's difficult, but it is simple. Simple, but not easy. Here at New Life, we say joining the family and beginning to follow Jesus is as easy as A, B, C. A is admit. Admit that you need him. Admit that you haven't got it all together and that you're not perfect. Admit that you need Jesus in your life. B is believe. Believe. Believe that God sent him to earth, that he died a death that you should have died, that he lived a life that you couldn't live, and that he rose again. And then C is confess. Confess him not only as Savior, but also as Lord, meaning owner and master of your life. Here at New Life, we, New Life, we believe if you'll follow these simple steps, A, B, and C, although difficult, it will totally, completely transform your life. That you will not be about what you were about, but you'll now be about what Jesus is about. And we need more people in our world and more people in our churches that are about what Jesus is about. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day and this time. I pray for those who right now are deciding to follow you for the very first time pray, God, that they would just be raising their hands in chat, that they would be committing their lives to you, that their heart would be mimicked by your heart, that they, that they would be after you in every way. Make them hungry for your word and your presence. Pray these things in your name. Amen.
New Life, it's been an honor to serve you. And I'm so thankful to be able to have preached over this Memorial Day weekend as my final opportunity to preach as one of the pastors here at New Life. I love you and I'm thankful for you. Have a great week.